This is on loan from Wayne Mars um, that some of you immediately know it is a concrete vibrator. And it, you insert it into the concrete as the concrete is being poured, and it helps agitate the air pockets and makes the concrete, takes the voids out of the concrete so you'll have a much more solid pour. So I have a video clip uh, that you can uh, play at this point, and uh, it shall show you a little bit more what that's like. It's kind of fun. That was the shortest little video I could find. Obviously, they're used for columns, and it helps you know, agitate uh, the concrete to bring all the air bubbles up. And today, as we close out a sermon series that I started four months ago in the book of James, working through a faith that works, I think it's only fitting to end with that tool and uh, the idea that a faith that works agitates. A faith that works agitates. Now, if I ask you to start sharing all the things in life that agitate you, we would never get out of this room today. Top of the list for many church people people would be long sermons. So let me just skip to you, for you, to the third. If you look up the definition of agitate, I think I have it on their next slide. This is like number three of the, of the meanings of the word. A campaign or even some def, definitions say a crusade. I thought that's really cool to have in church language. A campaign to arouse public concern about an issue in the hope of prompting action. Throughout the book of James, he has been agitating us to live out our faith. In fact, I said that this book is very much like a workbook. It's a test, if you will. And because, and this is a little motto theme that we had each, each week, that this book tests the validity of your faith because a faith, or should be, a living faith is a working faith. So if you have your Bibles, let me just jump right into this to James, the fifth chapter, and we're going to close it out. It's a lot of verses to try to take on a Sunday. I'm trying to be shorter, but uh, I think the timing is right for this one. So here we go. If any one of you, is any one of you in trouble? I'm at verse 13. Chapter 5 of James. He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wonder from the truth, 
and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Our Father, as we close out this book of James, this study, this series, I pray we never close it, that it always agitates us to action. That it always allows the voids in our life to be consumed and, and filled with the love of God. With the love of your Son. To say that I'm rock solid for you. These children talked about this week building a strong foundation. And I also it implied that he who began such a great work in us would be faithful to complete it unto the end. I was told this morning as I walked into church, Lord, that you're never done with us. Thank you for that. So I pray that it, as we have this time to look at this passage and pull some things out from it, that you're not finished with how you can form us and shape us and make us into the people you want us to be. Hear this prayer, Lord, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, boys and girls, I'm going to make the, uh, and adults, I'm going to make the points very easy for you today. First off, concrete. Could you imagine what the next one was going to be? Cranes. So, kids, this week we talked a lot about concrete. There's actually some bags of quickcrete down there. And we, we know that you watched the, the, the cartoon video, if you will, all week, the importance of building a strong foundation. But did you know it takes just a little bit of time for concrete to cure to, to dry, to, to become solid. It takes a little bit of time to do that because you can't necessarily walk on concrete or build on concrete right after it's been, as Wayne Mars taught me, you can't say poured, it has to be laid or placed, right? Pour is too wet. So once the concrete has been placed down, you, you, you can't do what this little guy did. Let's show this little video clip. It on. That's good. You can let it go from there. All right. That little boy was in trouble, right? Well, that man dealt with him far differently than my father would have dealt with me, or my grandfather for that matter. But uh, <clears throat> James says if you're in trouble, do what? Pray. If you're in trouble, pray. In fact, he says uh, that it will take different situations in our life. If anyone of you is in trouble, he should pray. If he's happy, he should pray. If he's sick, he should pray. If he has sinned, basically he should pray. And he illustrates that for us in a number of ways. Now, many times in our lives, it's, it's easy to pray when you're in trouble, right? You, you've done something wrong, you're getting in trouble mom and dad, you're getting in trouble at work, you're getting in trouble by the, the policeman that's pulled you over, you're praying, I don't get a ticket, I pray they don't find out, I pray I don't get fired, all these kind of things. So that type of prayer is pretty easy for most of us. But the next one, if you are happy, he says, sing psalms, basically. That's the word. It is the Greek word using the Hebrew word psalms that we get psalms from about songs. In other words, when you're really happy, how many of you take time to say thank you, God? You should, but we often don't. 
When there's money in the bank, when your health is good, when you got the new car smell. I've been driving a car with no air conditioning for about a week. And I'm happy I got transportation. That's the way it's talking about being. Thank you. It's my own, my own fault for doing that story for another day. But many times when we're up on the mountaintop, we don't take time to thank the guy who gave us the view. He says, if you're happy, let him sing songs of praise, not to yourself, but to the one who lifted you up. Sing songs of praise. If you're sick, pray. Have the elders pray. Be anointed with oil. Not something we practice a whole lot in our Baptist tradition. Nothing wrong with doing that. In fact, I've been to prayer services when it's nothing but asking God for healing. When you're sick, go to the master, the physician, the great physician, who can bring healing to you. And then he says, that, you know, if you've fallen off the wagon, if you will, you, you've sinned, and there's things that you need to confess, then confess. Boys and girls, I got my bracelet from my swag bag. Did you get one of these in your swag bag? Yeah, if you don't have one, you want one, let me know. What's it got on there? What? It's got the ABCs, right? And that last thing, when there's sin in your life, you are to confess it. In fact, what James causes us to do, this is a real agitation, confess to one another. That's the last person we want to confess to, right? You don't want to share with somebody else what you've done. But he challenges us to confess to each other and pray for each other that we might be healed and that we might be forgiven. So, then he gives us the example of Elijah. This is the fourth Old Testament example that he's given in this short book. He mentions Abraham, he mentions Rahab, he mentions Job, and now he has Elijah. And you know that quick story, if you, if you want to look at that and read it this, this afternoon, 1 Kings uh, 17th chapter, 18th chapter, great preaching illustrations there, great story, uh, uh, actual event. When I say story, it sounds like it wasn't real. Great event that actually happened where a man of God, ordinary guy like you and I, gal like you and I, and he, he prayed because of the people's unfaithfulness, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Three and a half years. And if you know the rest of the story, he challenges the prophets of Baal to, to make an altar and sacrifice something. And, and he does the same thing. And they pray all day. They, they, they cut themselves. They wail. They, they moan. They cry. And nothing happens. And eventually he takes his altar that he's built and uh, his sacrifice, pours water over it. And, and is thinking about the value of water of th after three and a half years years of drought. He takes water, soaks it like three times so much so he'd built a trench around it and the trench is full of water and he asked God to consume it. And God sends down fire. It consumes the entire altar, even sucks up the water and burns up the water that's in the trench. And he says, now, what God do you serve? And they actually, if you know the rest of that story, they, they, they take care of a lot of those prophets of Baal. Wow. And as I consider the text this week as a backdrop of concrete and cranes, I realize that prayer is a little bit like putting handprints in others. I have one more visual aid today. This is a handprint that Abel made. I know we have others in our home, grandkids and our own kids with four kids. Some of you have these maybe at your house where plaster of Paris or concrete, and you put a handprint in there, and that handprint reminds you not only of that child, but that preciousness and that all that joy that they brought and continue to bring. And, and it's the same way with prayer. When you pray for someone, 
you are putting your handprints on them for God. How many times are you putting handprints on people through your prayer life? Let me tell you, teachers, thank you so much. All the workers, thank you so much for your help today or this past week because you have put handprints on these children that will last a lifetime. You saw seven professions of faith. No idea how many other seeds have been planted that maybe next year. I talked to one grandfather yesterday at our picnic and he said, I think next year another one will make a profession of faith because of what that one had learned this previous week. But you just don't put handprints in this season of Vacation Bible School. This church, you and me, need to be involved in handprints of prayer every day. On our families, on our community, on our church, our co-workers, all those that we come encounter with. Because that is a form of living out this faith that James has challenged us and agitated us to have. He says, you are to live a righteous life. If you had backed up, and I, if I tried to even summarize this book a little bit, he said that you got to have a faith that works. If you don't have deeds and if you haven't shown it, I'll show you a dead faith. He talks about taming or bridling your tongue. He talks about giving what you have if you're wealthy. And even if you don't have a lot sharing, he talks about submitting to God and submitting to one another. He talks about being patient. And now in his last few verses, he's telling us to be patient and to pray. To pray. Our faith must agitate us to live for Christ. It must allow Enough of his faith in us to agitate others for him. Now, I know it's easy for church members to agitate one another, right? Really, aren't any Baptists in here? <laughs> Baptists are notorious for agitating each other. But that's not the agitation I'm talking about. It's the agitation that says, I will pray for you. I will ask you what I can do, how I can help. I will try to keep within you that living faith that has inspired me to keep it and share it with others. Make handprints in the lives of others by praying for the troubled, by praying for the successful and the sick, by praying for the sinner and the saint, by praying for the follower and even the wanderer. And that's our last point. Wanderers, because concrete and cranes, cranes go after the wanderers. Now, I know I've seen the bumper stickers, usually on a Jeep. Not everyone who is wondering is lost in this, something like that. There's a bumper sticker, something like that. Well, each day during vac vacation Bible school, we had a little cartoon that was uh, taking place in the city of Steelburg. You remember that? It was the city of Steelburg. Who was the greatest architect of all? Lorenzo. Well, how many of you went to vacation Bible school? Maybe I just like cartoons more than the rest of you. Renzo Wright. Renzo Wright. And he's the smartest genius. He's going to build the biggest building in the world. And he knew before he could build the tallest building in the world, he had to do what? Had to build a great foundation. And who was that other guy? Foreman? 
Niemeyer. Reminds me of Animal House, Niedermeyer, but it's Niemeyer. Foreman Niemeyer. And he is cutting corners. He's actually taking the, the uh, other architects, Renzo's, he's taking his steel beams and building his own. And he gets that much faster without building uh, any kind of strong foundation whatsoever. In fact, most of the time you see that other foreman, he is riding on the crane going up just to make fun of Renzo. Hey, Renzo, my building's going up faster than yours. Anybody see the same episodes I did? Because I see a lot of deer in the headlight. <laughs> Was I in a different year of vacation Bible school than you? <laughs> Probably so. Well, I just want you to say, or think about this. Let me repeat that. That foreman rode the crane up making fun of Renzo, the star of our little show. And churches can be the same way. We take the crane of faith and elevate ourselves higher and higher just so we can get ahead of others. Foreman Niemeyer was trying to outdo his neighbor. And many times, I think our churches, instead of using a crane to extend love, to extend forgiveness and support, we use it as a way to build up ourselves and look down at others. I used this poll, I think, three months ago, but I just looked at it again this week because it troubles me. You know, we're down in attendance for Vacation Bible School from, from 2019. We didn't have Vacation Bible School last year because of uh, the virus and the, the fear of spreading that. Our worship attendance is still down to approximately 50% of what we were pre-corona. And I know there are many reasons that people ha have not returned, but it is mimicking what we saw in the Barna poll from 2020. In 2000, 20 years, the, the one 20 years before that, 45% of U.S. citizens identified as active Christians. That's in 2000. In 2020, last year, that number had dwindled to 25%. That means only one in four Americans consider themselves to be active Christians. We have to be involved using these cranes, boys and girls, not to elevate ourselves above others, but to use them to reach out and help one another. I had a video clip, and I, I didn't even load it because I knew this would go too long. You know, I love videos. It was a video of a... Uh, in China, you know, one of those traffic cams that had caught a bus going off the road and into the water. And the man beside it on the highway was in one of those mobile cranes, the kind you can drive, that has a crane on the back. He saw it, ran over across the street, immediately ran back, got his crane, drove it to the other side, let the crane out, you know, the whole big thing. And, and one by one, he started pe pulling people out of the water with his crane. That's what this crane of faith should be doing in the world in which we live. Together, putting handprints in the concrete, handprints of prayer and faith on one another, and using that crane to lift those in trouble, lift those in pain, sorrow, and in sin up. Let God do that. Not that we are the crane operator or even the crane. We are simply a piece of that crane to extend it to one another. 
James agitates the church and wants to create a different church than what we attend today. We practice levels of privacy, or you might even use the word apathy, that keeps us from interfering with other church members or even our neighbors and our friends and our loved ones. We adopt the old military adage, don't ask, don't tell. In other words, if there's something wrong in that person's life, if they're hurting, if you know they're struggling with a vice or with a sin or with a problem or a relationship, we don't ask. We don't tell. We don't share with one another. And James is agitating us to say, pray for one another. Go after the one who has wandered, the one who has strayed from the truth, and help bring them back. Remember that the word agitate means a campaign or crusade to arouse public concern, I would say church concern, about the issue in hope of prompting action. VBS example. Multiple times on Monday and Tuesday, I saw, especially with the younger ones, it's a different response with some of the older ones. Some of the older ones don't want to come in because perhaps they really weren't that excited about being here. Some of the younger ones are here, and they're afraid. They don't, they don't know people. They, they're, they're visiting. This is the first time they've been in this church. Maybe the first time in vacation Bible school. They don't know anyone unless they came with a friend or a, lo- or a loved one. And one of our teachers or one of our youth workers would go back, pick them up by hand or even carry, bring them to the chair or the pew where they were sitting for their class. And they did that because they trusted that person. The church must be the same way. Getting those who are perhaps afraid and standoffish and saying, let me be an extension of the love of God to you. We will have to be agitators, friends. And it's uncomfortable for them just as it's uncomfortable for us. It's easier to go on home and have lunch with your family than invite somebody else in this church or a stranger or a visitor to go out with you. I don't know them. I don't know what they like. They probably wouldn't go if I did ask them, and you just go on by. But face it, we all like our privacy. But are you content to let your neighbor, your coworker, your family member wander off from the faith to use that old rock song on the highway to hell and just go about your business? Wouldn't you rather stretch out your crane and let God lift them up? Look at verse 20 one last time. We're about to close out here. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is not the typical New Testament epistle closing. Typically, it's like a benediction. Grace and peace to you. Say hello to my buddies. Amen, and God bless you. He leaves with an exclamation point. He says, listen, I have agitated you for five chapters, trying to get you off your derrieres and get into action for the faith that you claim you have. I'm telling you, get out and do it. And that's the end of his book. Stretch out your crane. Go after the wanderer. Put your handprints of prayer like handprints in concrete on others. Because when we live out the faith that works, we will agitate others for Christ Jesus and help bring them to him. Stand with me, please, we pray. Our Father, as we close out this sermon and close out this series and close out this worship service, it's been a wonderful opportunity to see the joy of faith in the faces of
now as we have a time of invitation, if there's someone here who has never placed their hand, their heart, their lives in yours, that they would come and profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior right now. Perhaps there's somebody that would like to come to the steps of this platform and just kneel and pray. Whatever decision there is to be made, Lord, I would ask that your Holy Spirit move. For I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.